Well, Happy New Year. I hope so far the year is going great for you. <laughs> Someone said this morning that uh, they really are doing well. They haven't ordered anything off Amazon so far this year. And then I spoke to somebody else and they said, well, I already have. So anyway, it's how you view life and how we're, we're looking at this new year will make the difference. And so for those of us who are going to be speaking over the next few weeks and looking at church and so the question that came up and, and I'm, and I'm the one that asked it because I did it with one of my students or some of my students a few years back. What if we today in our world, in our time could ask Jesus what his thoughts were about his church? Well, the cool thing is we don't have to because he's already said it. In Revelations chapter 1, 2, and 3, and that's where we're going to be for the next few weeks, looking at the seven churches of Asia Minor. And in looking at those churches, please remember that this is God's way of speaking to the church as a whole, as it were. And so we have this incredible opportunity. I'm going to give you an assignment. Please spend some time studying the first three chapters of Revelation. Now, you can go farther if you want, but that's what we're going to be working on. Someone said, why don't you do the whole book of Revelations? For those who've been here for a long time, we did that years ago. We thought we would never get out of Revelation. And so we're going to do the three chapters, look at the seven churches of Asia Minor, and then look at the applications that we can get from that. Because Jesus, in talking about the churches there in Asia Minor, he doesn't just point out the wrong but he celebrates the right. And so for us as believers now in our time, and remember God chose us for this time in history, what an amazing blessing that is for us to be chosen for this time in history, to be his church and to be his witness and his light. It's the greatest honor, I think, that we could ever receive from Christ as he's chosen us to be a part of this time in history. So, Here's the thing I want you to know, though, as we study Revelations, or any part of the Scripture for that matter, when you're studying and researching, you're going to find there's differences of opinions. Sometimes you're having to rely upon, and so many, so many times we're having to rely upon uh, early Christian authors who gave us information historically, and we're going to have to believe that's true as it moves forward. We don't have all the documentation. Many things we do have, but we don't have all of it. So the first thing that I'm going to present is one of those issues. There are those who believe that the Apostle John, who, by the way, was the oldest living apostle this time. Everybody else was gone. In fact, um, one of my trips to India, one of the great joys was visiting St. Thomas Church in Chennai, India. Because that's where they celebrate the fact that St. Thomas, Apostle Thomas, was killed, martyred there in India because of his faith for Jesus Christ. And that happened in about 72 AD. So John's the last guy. And as a result of that, the things that he's saying, he's, he's getting to see a lot of things that others were martyred earlier and did not get to see. And he's trying, I think, by the Holy Spirit to communicate as much of that to us as he can. So again, one of the things is that John wrote the book of Revelation first before he wrote the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. I'm saying that, and again, 
it was in the same time period. John, think about this. John did most of his writing in the last five or six years of his life, and he was in his 90s. Now, he had a secretary who was helping him do this, as, again, Christian history understanding. But he did this amazing writing in the latter years. So if you're here today and you're over 90, there's still a lot for you to do. You know, don't plan to quit and give up. Just say, I got more to do. Let's do it. Uh, I'll never forget Miss Bertha Smith, one of our great missionaries to China for years and years in Taiwan, that area. She signed a 10-year contract of writing on her 90th birthday. You know, we're going to live forever anyway, somewhere. We know for those of us who are in Christ, we're going to live forever in the very presence of God. But while we're still here, whatever amount of time we still have, let's use it in the building and upbuilding of the kingdom of God. So again, all that introduction to take you to, it's not on the screen, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Because this will hopefully and prayerfully encourage us as we look at the condition of the churches in Asia Minor. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It never changes, does it? Read the, read the Bible front to back. It never changes. And then to remember that not only is it our faith that is our victory, but our faith is the product of Jesus Christ. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And so all this is God working out, working in us and working through us so that his life can be manifest in our world and his kingdom, his kingdom here. What did Jesus say? The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is near. He kept, it's almost like he was mixing it up to help us understand. You can't get away from the kingdom of God if you're a part of the kingdom of God. And so as we look at these churches in Asia Minor, and by the way, you might want to ask, well, why did they pick these seven churches? Well, if you start at Ephesus and you get on a road, it really is a circular road that brings you all the way around and back to Ephesus. And so this was the commerce road of the day. And along that roadway, there were churches that were built up, many of them established by the Apostle Paul. And they were just the blessing of the community. But they were also the challenge because there was so much persecution. That's why the Apostle John found himself on the Isle of Patmos in his 90s. And that is where Jesus Christ revealed to him Revelation. Revelation is it's like the curtain being pulled back. It was there all the time, but the curtain is pulled back, and now you can see what God has been holding there for you. So John starts out. I'm in verse 9. I'm going to trust you to read verses 1 through 8. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus Christ. Now, I, John, he's telling I'm the last one, as it were. He's letting us know that. I, John, and I am your brother. Now, if you do a little research, you'll find out that the, bro- the word brother used in the Greek language is actually a military term because it means that it's someone that you're so close to. It's someone that you will go through battle with. You will go through difficulties with. 
It's someone that you know, you know you can count on. And he says, listen, I am your brother and I am also partaker in the tribulation. What was the tribulation that John went through? Again, relying upon Christian writers, early historians in the first century and then beyond that. Here's what it says. When the emperor, Demetrian, found out that John was still alive down in Ephesus, and John had been arrested because he would not bow to the requirements of Demetrius as emperor, and Demetrius found out that he was there, he had him brought to Rome to put him on trial, and when he found him guilty of not willing to bow to him, because remember, the emperor in his mind, in his day, he was God. And if you didn't recognize him as God, guess what? (laughs) You died. And one of the horrible deaths, crucifixion was one for the Romans, but they had another one. Of taking the person and getting a big old vat of oil. You know, you guys, this did Thanksgiving, you know, you fried your turkeys. Getting a big old vat of oil and getting it really, really hot and throwing the person in. And then they would take the flesh hooks and dredge the pot and pull out the meat and the bones of the person that had been martyred. Sign me up, right? So they did that to John. Again, early historian writers, Christian writers. And when they put the flesh hooks in to pull him out, guess what? (laughs) He came out whole and unburnt. Kind of like the three guys in the furnace, remember? There's a fourth like unto the Son of God. And now here's the emperor and he's got this guy. He can't even burn him. So what does he do with him? Well, the other thing the Romans did was they had this island called Patmos. And that's where they would send their criminals. Those who were criminal and those who were political criminals because they wouldn't bow to the emperor, much like Australia. Most of you know that Australia's population was from Britain because that's where they would send all the criminals. And that's how the population of Australia grew. So now John is on this island of Patmos. He's been sentenced there as was. He's in his 90s and so many people have been sent there as criminals. They pretty much stripped the vegetation. It is not a pleasant place. And so you would spend your days there trying to find a place to live and enough to eat if you possibly could. Now, again, it is understood that John ended up in a cave, that that was his dwelling. So he says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus. Perseverance is the word endurance. We are so lacking, I think, today in endurance. Well, let's just be real. For example, not show of hands. <laughs> I don't want your neighbors freaking out. But how many of you have had COVID? Again, don't raise your hand. Because, you know, that's the, that's the leprosy of our day. How many of you have had COVID? Or how many of you have been quarantined because someone in your family had COVID? Now, think about that. 
And how well did we handle it? Did you endure those circumstances that were inconveniences for sure? And if you had it and you had it badly, it was difficult for sure. But we, we're so, well, let me just say it. We're so narcissistic today in so many ways in our culture that I want what I want and I want it when, right? <laughs> yeah, yesterday. <laughs> I was going to say right now, but yesterday's okay too. We want... We have so made this. And see, the Bible's very clear. This is how it's going to be in the last days. Look at Timothy, what Paul says to Timothy. So about ourselves and what we want. We're so self-absorbed and so selfish that we miss many opportunities of glorifying God. For example, what if, what if you had COVID or you were quarantined because someone in your family had COVID and you said, you know what? This is a time, God, for me to be still and know that you're my God. And I'm going to use this time for your glory. Or what if, how many people can I, I'm not on social media, but if you are, how many people can I encourage on social media? How many people can I text? How many people can I call? How many, and, and to really get really old fashioned, how many people can I write and encourage them in their walk in faith during this time that I'm having to reduce my activity? Endurance perseverance which are in jesus he says all this is happening because i'm in jesus it was my willingness to stand up for the cause and the kingdom of christ and that's why i am where i am and i was put on the isle of patmos because the word of god and the testimony of jesus christ when's the last time any of us suffered any kind of punishment because we stood up for christ now, again, I, I want to be very careful about this because I have some experience that sheds, I think, at least a certain amount of light. Because over 50 years ago, when the Holy Spirit of God was dealing with me about my salvation, and I was in the military, I was in the Navy, and I was on a Navy ship, there were two guys. We had 250 guys. That was the number of people on our ship, destroy escort. And out of that 250 guys, only two guys professed to know Jesus Christ. And they were the biggest goof-ups on our ship. And I was in nuclear weapons. You can't be a goof-up and have access to nuclear weapons. They don't allow that, in case you didn't know. At least they didn't used to. I'm not sure about now. And so... It was a great concern to me that I would accept Christ. And then I'd start acting like those guys and I'd get thrown out of the nuclear weapons program. Well, it turned out they were just goof ups. They happened to know Jesus, praise God, but they were just goof ups. And so when I came to know Christ and others, um, my best friend and I at the same time, within the same weekend came to know Christ. And then as God allowed us, others came to know Christ and we realized... (laughs) That's, that's not what Jesus does to you. That was just who they were. So when's the last time any of us suffered anything because of our witness for Christ? Not because we're a goof up, because we just don't do things well. That's not the point. But because we've taken, we've taken, we've taken a true strong stand 
for God, for his word, and for our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, I was in the spirit. Uh, By the way, um, just again, so you know, the word spirit in the original language was not capitalized. And what that means is, this is not talking about the Holy Spirit, but it's talking about a spiritual dimension. He says, I was in the Spirit, in my human spirit. I was in, on the Lord's day, I was in that dimension where it was just me and God. Have you had those times? I, I, let, me, let me just pause for a moment and say to you, if you have not been privileged to have those times in your walk and relationship with God, and I'm not saying seek experiences, that's not my point, But to know that God wants time like that with you, where you're putting everything else to the side and you're receiving what he has for you. So he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me. Now, again, if those guys are right, that he was actually in a cave. Can you imagine being in a cave that you've been in for a while and all of a sudden there's somebody behind you? That's called a surprise, okay? So it wasn't as he was in the spirit. It wasn't like he was looking for this experience now of truly encountering the resurrected Christ. But he was surprised by the voice that sounded like a trumpet. And by the way, if you take the words in the Greek and put them together, it's a megaphone. So (laughs) have you ever been in a dark place? And all of a sudden, whoa! I I can imagine just a little bit of what John was going through. I heard a voice, the loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. Now, remember, this is revelation. This is the curtain being pulled back. It wasn't that all this didn't exist before. It absolutely did. But now God's pulling the curtain back, letting John see So he can write down what he sees. So we today here in Chester, South Carolina, January the 2nd, 2022, can read it, understand it, and apply it. You got to admit, that's pretty good stuff. And again, the seven churches, remember, these represent now in in the context of all that's going on, the, the whole church and even the church of the ages, so even up to us. To Ephesus, to Smyrna. To Pergama, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be taking time to look at these churches and look at the things that God is saying, Jesus Christ is saying to them. And again, he doesn't just pick on them. He doesn't just beat them up. In fact, it's really different. And we'll get to that in verse 20 in a moment. So then he says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. Now he's turning because he hears the voice. So he's looking for what? A person. So when he turns, he says, having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. So the first thing he sees is what? The lampstands. They're golden. And and you have to understand, even in that day, the the kings would use all sorts of metals and uh, precious gems to uh, reveal how wonderful and how amazing and how powerful and how wealthy they were. But in the middle of this voice coming to him, and he turns around, he sees seven 
golden lampstands. Golden meaning that God has no limit. He's not limited by our resources. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of God. So let me ask this question. Where was Jesus in this vision that John is having on the Isle of Patmos? Where? I'm sorry. All right. I'm... Thank you. In the midst, and some of you may have been saying it, I couldn't hear it. In the midst of the seven candlesticks are in the midst of, and we'll get to verse 20 and you'll see it, in the midst of the seven churches. You got to get this, folks. Church, and when I say church, I'm not talking about denominational churches because God didn't do that, man did. In fact, if you go back to the people that the denominations that we're so familiar with exist today and the ones who were part of the founding of that, you will find out that was not their intent. That was not their intent. Their intent was the gospel would be proclaimed and the kingdom of God would be advanced and it would not be another denomination that would be declared. And so Jesus is standing, think about this, he is standing right in the middle of the church. Where is he today? He hasn't moved. Now there are times when it certainly appears the church has moved and Jesus is not in the midst. But I am telling you, please understand, if you don't get anything else today, you need to understand Jesus Christ loves his church. His church, in fact, is his bride. And he will not leave his church. He will not leave his bride. He will not forsake his bride. He loves his church. One of my early mentors had this illustration I thought was one of the best ones I've ever heard. And I've used it thousands of times over the years. But he said, let's suppose that you're at a wedding, a really, really nice wedding. And he said, and let's suppose that you happen to have an aisle seat. And you're sitting there and the bride, you know that moment when the bride comes down? And, and I tell the groom, whatever you do, do not take your eyes off the bride. You know, don't get distracted. I don't care what your medical condition is. Don't get distracted. This is your moment to really impact your bride. Don't take your eyes off your bride. So she's coming down the aisle and you're sitting there in an aisle seat. And right as she gets beside you, something happens. She catches a heel. She catches a toe. Something happens, but she stumbles. And there on her day, her day, she is stumbling and potentially going to fall. And he said, what would you do? If you were there and you were sitting in that aisle seat and that would happen to take place right beside you, what would you do? Would you reach out and help steady her or would you push her down? Which one would you do? I'm sorry. I, we have a mixed audience here. I'm not sure how some of you would do. It's like, are you kidding me? You want that look like on video, man? We would make one. No. Anybody in their right mind. And I'm not saying that everybody attends the weddings in their right mind. But anybody in their right mind would do what? Make the effort to steady the bride so that her day is not ruined. So let's apply that to the church. The church through the generations and even in our generation has stumbled at times. What do we do? 
We catch her. Thank you. We do what any responsible person would do. But here's sadly what happens. And I know it's a little harder to gather outside of this now because places are closed and we have certain limitations. But sitting around talking in a restaurant or even in a home, and we're talking bad about the church. We're talking bad about the pastor. We're talking bad about the leadership. We're just downing the church. We're talking about the bride of Christ that he loves so much that in his revelation to John, he has purposely placed himself in the very middle of the churches of Asia Minor, which represent all the church for all of eternity. Please do me a favor and do God a favor. Quit talking about the church. Just quit. Just stop it. Instead, look for what is good and positive. Because that's what Jesus does as we go through these churches. He tells us the things that are wrong, but he doesn't stop there. He gives us the good stuff too. Now, I really don't think any of us are in a position to judge the church, the bride of Christ. I just don't. No offense. I'm looking around the room. I don't see anybody really that smart. But the Holy Spirit of God living in us makes all the absolute difference of how life is done and how this is worked out. And he says, and I saw one like the Son of Man. Now look at this. He was clothed, clothed in a robe reaching to his feet. Girded across his chest was a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Now, he is seeing the resurrected Christ. Remember Jesus? We just celebrated his birthday, a little baby born in the manger. Well, this is the same Christ. I mean, he's the resurrected Christ now. We talked about at Christmas, the crucifixion of Christ. There he is humbling himself before man and dying at the hands of creation, his creation. And yet now, just a few years later... This is somewhere around uh, 94 AD. A few years later, John is allowed by God as he pulls the curtain back in the Revelation to see Christ. The Christ that we will see if we know him as our personal Savior on that day that we leave this world and step into his eternity. He got to see him. And he describes him for us. His feet were like burnished bronze. When it has been made to glow in a furnace. He's saying, if you've ever been in metal work at all, when it's, when it's hot, it's when it's the most brilliant. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. Remember, John says, it's like a trumpet blasting me from behind me. This is, this is the Christ. This is the one who has placed himself strategically in the midst of all the churches of Asia Minor. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, the word, his word. And his face was like the sun shining in his strength. When I saw him, John did what I hope every other person would do. He said, I fell like a dead man. I fell down like a dead man. I just, boom, hit the ground. 
<laughs> we're, we're so arrogant. A <laughs> cow are so arrogant. We read these, book, these pages of the scripture. And we say, hmm, Jesus really looked something there, didn't he? It's like it doesn't affect us. Like, I think it ought to affect us. And I'm not saying I'm not guilty. I am. He said, I fell at his feet like a dead man. But look what Jesus does. And he placed his right hand on me saying, don't be afraid. How many times in the Bible has God said, don't be afraid. Do not fear. I am the first and the last. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. For those who don't know, alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And they're saying, I'm all there is. Now remember, they're understanding this in Greek. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. He says, is the enemy out to get you? Yes, he is. He will do anything and everything he can to destroy you. But remember, I'm the one who has the keys. <laughs> I'm the one who has the keys. I'm the one who truly has the control. Yeah, he's showing off and showing out. But at the end of it all, I'm the one who says what is and what will be. Therefore, he says, right these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. So he's, he's laying it out. And, and so what we're going to do is take the time to look at these verses and prayerfully with the Holy Spirit's guidance and understanding, understand it so that we can then apply it in our day and our time. Because guess what? We today are one of the candlesticks, one of the churches And here's the cool thing, at least I think it is, as Jesus starts talking about the churches, he doesn't compare one with the other. He talks about the uniqueness of each one, because that's the way the bodies are that he has has created, not the denominations that gathering the assembly, the, the koinonia. Those, he says, have unique and wonderful personalities. This body here, people say, well, why are you like what you are? And our answer is, we have simply sought the Holy Spirit and his leadership and his guidance. And that's how we have become what we are. Because the church has gone through amazing transitions over the, over the last few years. And God is allowed us to do that and honored us in the process he says as for the mystery because you know now he's thinking okay as for the mystery what are the seven stars and what are the golden lampstands i already talked to you about the golden lampstands the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches now this is where we're going to get into a little something that you're going to have to work on if you want to if you're willing to i hope you will he says, they're the angels, they're the euangelion, they're the messengers, they're the pastors of the church. Now, this is where it can get a little sticky, if we're not careful. In the true church of Jesus Christ, there is always a plurality, a plurality, what's that word? 
Thank you. <laughs> More than one person. <laughs> Leading. There's always that in his church. But out of that group of leaders, there will be one that tends to be the leader. Example, go back to Acts 15, Jerusalem Council. They are facing what will make the difference in the upcoming days about how evangelism will be done. Because the Judaizers are saying the only way a pagan, a Gentile, can become a Christian is if he go through the Jewish rite of what? Circumcision. And yet, that is not what the Spirit of God is saying. And so they have this big council to decide how they're going to move the church forward. And are they going to continue to practice circumcision for every man that comes into the church? Or are they going to let it go? James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, who by now, think about that, just a short time ago, he was saying, he's crazy. He's my brother. He's my half-brother, whatever. He's crazy. If you read the Gospels. But now, James, the half-brother Jesus, has risen through this process, and he is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And now, here's the cool thing. When the Holy Spirit is in charge, you don't have all the mess that so many churches have. It's not about a power struggle. It's about what does God want, and how does he want to do it? And so, on that day at the Jerusalem Council... All the cases have been presented, and James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, who is now the leader of the church there in Jerusalem, he says, it seems right to me that we should not require of them, and instead let them come in to the kingdom through the very grace of God. And you know what everybody said? It didn't raise a big debate. It didn't raise a discussion. It didn't raise a lot of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody said, Sounds good. Let's do it. And they sent messengers out to say, this is how we're going to do church. When the Holy Spirit's in charge, it's not about who that person is. It's about whether or not that body of believers is surrendered to Christ. Here we have three elders. We have two deacons. We have a number of shepherds. And we all work together in the harmony of the Holy Spirit. We just do. It's, it's a God thing. When we do it his way, it works. When we're trying to do it our way, it's a mess. Many of you know that on Sunday mornings, we ride around the communities and pray. And this morning, we're riding around praying. And as we get in front of homes of people that we know and pray for them, I got to tell you, both of us this morning, we're a little disturbed because we see So many families who are in such disarray. And because we are involved in so many people's lives, we know that so much of that disarray, so much of that confusion has become, has come about because of really poor choices. And it's heartbreaking. It is, it could have been so easily avoided. But any of us, I don't care where it's this church, as the leaders of this church, or any person in this church, if any of us ever say, I want it my way, and we're unwilling to take the time, that's why I'm asking you to take the time to study the scripture on this particularly. If we're unwilling to take the time, what does God have to say about, what does God have to say about marriage? You know, he's the one that started this, right? What does God have to say about family? 
He was the one who said to Adam and Eve, replenish the earth, fill it up. He knows a thing or two about his creation. And much of it is written in this book. And yet we so often purposely choose to ignore what God has said. Because what? I want what I want. I want what I want. So when we look at these churches, as we'll be doing over the next few weeks, we're going to see, and, and I, I, my prayer is your socks will just get blessed off. You get that? I'm not sure everybody understands that terminology. In other words, you'll be blessed. And you'll be excited about the things of God that God is up to in this age that we're in as he demonstrates it through the seven churches of Asia Minor. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask you to do something a little different today as we close our service in prayer. This is the first Sunday that we're together on a new year. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would all of you put your hands up like that? And hold them up, okay, please. Just put them up, hold them up. Because I want to pray a blessing for us in this new year. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done and all you're doing and all that we will see revealed in your word, Father God. And for every person who's here, I pray, Holy Spirit, that this will be a time of revelation. This will be a time of the curtain being pulled back for their individual lives and for our corporate life as we go forward into 2022. And Lord, those areas where we have denied you or lived in unbelief, that God, you'll remove those from our heart and where we've been playing those tapes of the past over and over in our mind, those videos of all the junk and all the things that we've done, thank you, God, that you're the God of yesterday as well as today and forever. So take each person right now as we have our hands before you, God, and our hands before you as ones that worship you in spirit and in truth. That you take our lives. Take our lives, God. We offer them as living sacrifices today, knowing that, Lord Jesus, you died, we died. You live, we live. Thank you for living in us and living through us and placing us with you in heavenly places. And let 2022 be the year that your church here in Chester rises up and lights up so that your kingdom will be revealed to our world. In Jesus' name, bless every person, every family. Amen.